Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who creates all and is in all. And I pray, God, this morning that as we uh, dive into your word once again, as we take on uh, a challenging question, I pray, Lord, that your spirit would lead us and it would teach us once again about you and the love and the compassion that you have for us, even in the midst of our deep questions. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I want to see if anybody here kind of recognizes uh, this guy right here. He's a famous actor for a time and a while. He's kind of gone uh, missing a little bit. Does anybody know who Ben Stein is by show of hands? You remember this guy? Uh, known for uh, the movie Ferris Bueller's Day Off where he's the boring professor or teacher and he just repeats Bueller. Bueller, Bueller, or uh, maybe you remember him from his commercials for Visine eye drops. He had this line, and he said it like this, for dry, red eyes, clear eyes is awesome. Does anybody remember this by chance? All right. Um, Also known for his uh, trivia show, Win Ben Stein's Money, where if you won Ben Stein's Money, you would win a whopping $5,000, all right, to beat this man in trivia. Very smart person, right? And actually, anybody know who that is standing next to him by chance? It was the co-host of that show back in the day. It's uh, Jimmy Kimmel, all right? Uh, It's kind of strange, you know, he's lost a little bit of weight since those days, all right? It's a good thing, all right? But but Ben Stein, in uh, in 2008, for being known for kind of these silly little things, um, he also, uh, in 2008, released a documentary that uh, was called this, Expelled. Anybody see this movie by chance? Oh, perfect. All right, one person. All right, this is good. So... um, In this movie, in this documentary, he was looking at uh, how as a society, we are silencing the thought in American academics that what exists around us was created by a god. That there seems to be this trend in American thought, Stein was bringing forward, that that in order to be or talk about uh, scientific thought, the assumption was that you don't believe that there is a god. Ben Stein was uh, bringing forward what was known or what is known as the intelligent design movement uh, and the academic establishment's effort to stifle the debate over the limitations of evolutionary theory and many intelligent design advocates have been calling for. He was bringing forward this thought that you don't essentially... If you believe that there's creator God, that you're not forfeiting all of science. That there is room and space for there to be belief in a God and in the beginning of all things. 
And actually, in the movie, Expelled, uh, he interviews this guy, Richard Dawkins, who is the author of The God Delusion. If you can't pick that up by his title, he's not a big fan of God and creation sort of thing. And uh, Richard, Richard Dawkins, in the movie, comes forward and states that very simply, that you cannot be an intellectual, scientific thinker and still hold religious beliefs. And today, that's the basis of our message, our conversation here this morning. Can science and religion exist together? Or are they two separate things that are pointing us in two completely different directions? Uh, We are in the middle of this series called You Pick. If you remember on Easter, if you were with us, we gave you 15 different options. And you, as the congregation, got to select the top five uh, topics that you were most interested in. And this was one of those top five that was brought forward. How do science and faith work together? Can they exist together or should they be separated? And today, what I would like to propose is simply that, yes, they can exist together. But I'm coming with the assumption that you showed up to church today because you find some sort of value in religion and faith. And so my assumption is that you would desire to have some launching points to talk about this conversation. Not to solve it because it is a very complex thing but to have a beginning point into how to engage in this conversation. And so my first launching point in this conversation about science and faith is simply this, that this dynamic of that science and faith are going in different directions is a relatively newer problem. Uh, For example, This is known as a guy named Galileo. Maybe you've heard of him before. Uh, And and I think it's important for us to look at the roots of science and some of the pillars of people who laid the foundational work that gives us what we have today. Galileo was known as the father of modern science. He was uh, born in 1564 to 1642. He was known for his work in mathematics and physics. And he was also quoted as one who said this, that God is known by nature in his works and by doctrine in his revealed word. That the Bible, Galileo said, teaches men how to go to heaven and, how, and not how the heavens go. For Galileo, he saw that that God can exist even in his scientific thought as long as we understand their proper places. Johannes Kepler, another uh, famous ancient scientist known, uh, was instrumental in planetary motion, supporting Copernicus's theory of the earth orbits the sun, not the sun orbits the earth. If you've heard of that thought before, uh, 
Kepler was known as um, one who was providing the foundations of Newton's theory of universal gravitation and was known for his faith. I'll give you a quote from him here in a second. And in fact, Isaac Newton, there's been more ink spilled on this guy's uh, faith life. And we're not really sure exactly, like, did he show up to church every Sunday or did he give a certain amount or whatever? We don't know. But what we do know about Isaac Newton, who was uh, the father of the development of the law of gravity, that he also wrote 10 times as much on theology and who God is as he ever did on math and science. My point is simply this, that these people didn't have this massive distinction or divorcing of the two things. This has become more of a modern thought for us as Western American thinkers that science and faith are working against each other. Galileo was quoted as saying that the reason behind his questing mind was his deep conviction that the creator who had endowed us with senses, reason, and intellect intended us to not forego their use and by, other, by some other means to give us knowledge which we can attain them. God has given us knowledge and reason and feeling to discover and wonder the goodness of what he has created. And Kepler, I love this statement, and I've said it before, was quoted as saying this, that we as human beings are thinking God's thoughts after him. A beautiful understanding a beautiful way to think of that this creator God is putting things into being and we are discovering them after he has done so. You might ask, okay, well, how did we get to the place of where we are today? Like, I know that there's this big debate going on between science and faith. Has it just evolved that we've discovered more things to disprove faith? I would be willing to argue that, that this is just so typical of how we act as modern Americans. Our media, if you haven't picked up on this yet, loves to have a protagonist and an antagonist. Our media loves to have uh, the enemy and the hero. We love to put two people on some major cable news network and say, you guys disagree, let's take five minutes to argue about it. And then we watch it, right? And this, in fact, uh, a guy named Christian Smith talks about this dynamic in his book entitled The Secular Revolution. He says this, that the conflict model of the relationship of science to religion was a deliberate exaggeration used by both scientists and educational leaders at the end of the 19th century to undermine the church's control of their institutions and increase their own cultural power. If you're interested, you can read that book and dive a little bit more into it, but it seems as if that this can appear to be a cultural move that can be about power. A launching point into this conversation is simply to say that this isn't how it's always been. In fact, 
This is a newer, modern thing inside of our society and culture. And why is it that way? All right, well, Pastor Dave, are you just telling us we should go back to the days of Galileo? Like cars, all these sorts of things. Like, you know, should we just like say, well, forget that stuff. I'm going back to those days. No, I'm not saying that at all. All right. I'm just saying that that's a part of this conversation that we should take into consideration. But let's look at the second thing here, and I think it's important for us in a launching point to understand where there seems to be an agreement. And to do that, I want to look at Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2. It says this, Day, or the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. When we read this text written by a guy named David in uh, the book of Psalms, we see that David looks at what has been created and he says that the skies proclaim the handiwork of God. They pour out speech. Night to night it reveals knowledge. What David is proclaiming is that there seems to be this order that's been put into play that is proclaiming, it's saying something, it's giving us knowledge about this one who has created. Stephen Hawking, an atheist, writes this, the overwhelming impression of the universe is one of order. The more we discover about the universe, the more we find that it is governed by rational laws. When we put these two things together, I want us to see this important common ground that we have, is that we agree that in this world there is order. Science and faith would both make the argument, they would both agree on the fundamental statement that the universe is not a place of chaos, but is one of order. Now, certainly in the biblical account, we would read that there has been corruption. There are things that are happening that are out of whack. But we would also say that our God has put things into order. And for science, uh, there has to be order. And think about it. A conclusion comes after a hypothesis is formed, and then experiments affirm or disprove that hypothesis. For that to work, there has to be a fundamental agreement that order is in place. The Bible would say in the very first pages, in the book of Genesis, that God himself has placed everything into order. He speaks and it happens. In fact, if you were with us in our last series in the book of Job, maybe you remember these words. Because in that book, Job is a person who is experiencing suffering in his life. And for most of the book, all he wants is an answer to the question, why am I suffering? And God responds not by answering the question of why you're suffering, but he responds by saying, hey, Look at, who, look at me, the one who has put things into order. Remember, he says, can you, or were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth, Job? Can you uh, command lightning to go and come back? See, God is also saying that there is order in this world. And science would say that as well. 
But ultimately, they are talking uh, about different things as well, which leads to the third launch point in this conversation. Science and religion are both asking important questions, but not necessarily the same question. This is important for us to understand as we dive into this world of science and faith. See, I would argue that science is asking the how, whereas religion is asking the why. Imagine this. Imagine uh, that this woman shows up at church. We'll call her Aunt Matilda. And she shows up and Aunt Matilda is, uh, is an incredible cake baker. She shows up, she builds this beautiful cake like what you see up on the screen. And when she comes and builds that cake, she brings it to church and, and she brings the top scientists in the world to analyze the cake. That's why they're there. So at the end of the church service, before anybody gets a piece of cake, each of those leading scientists come up front, they get the microphone, and they explain in great detail how that cake was put together. Uh, The nutrition scientist tells us about the number of calories in the cake and why you should only eat a small portion and slice of that cake. And everybody tells the nutrition scientist to shut up. I'm hungry. It's my cheat day, all right? I'm ready to eat, all right? And then the biochemist informs us about the structure of the proteins and fats of that cake. The chemist comes up and gives us the elements involved in their bonding and how the cake holds together. The physicist analyzes in terms of fundamental particles. And then finally, a mathematician gives us the equation to describe the behavior of these particles. And after about an hour and a half, and everybody is super hungry and just wants to eat the cake, the question becomes, can we say that the cake is completely explained? Have we gotten all of the answers to the explanation of this cake? Certainly we have heard the description of the cake and and how the various elements hold together and the nutritional value or lack of value to our system and body that it brings. But suppose you were to ask those scientists, why was the cake made? We would all say, well, we're not gonna ask the scientists. We're gonna ask Matilda, the baker. Because it's only her that can answer that question as to why that cake is being made. And see, the answer to those things Those questions are all very valuable. All of those things matter, even the nutritionist who is trying to add a couple of years to your life. All of those things are valuable to us. But what happens or where we get into trouble is when the other tries to answer for the other here. 
where the how tries to explain the why and the why just tries to explain the how. See, science is incredibly valuable to Christianity and can teach us more about God who has put all things together. But where science becomes dangerous is when it tries to explain the why. Truthfully, where religion becomes dangerous is when it only tries to explain the how. There needs to be a proper understanding of the question that this field is seeking to answer. And oftentimes we get these things mixed up. In fact, Richard Dawkins, the guy that I was referencing at the very beginning here, who uh, uh, part of this new atheist movement. He says these very bold words, and I, I hope today when you hear them that they would challenge you as a body of believers, as when I read them, they were a challenge to me. Because he says this, that faith is one of the world's greatest evils, comparable to the smallpox virus, but harder to eradicate. Faith, being belief that isn't based on evidence, is the principal vice of any religion. I bring up his words because I think we as the church need to take a gut punch here. When it comes to these questions about science, because to him, he, he sees this movement of religion as one of just blind faith. One that we're afraid to even look into the evidence that has been brought forward. And to me, I think that's a huge problem. Something that needs to be challenged. Now, first off, I would say this to Mr. Dawkins. I would say that the reality is, is that we all have faith or trust in something. We all take somebody at their word for something. For Dawkins, that would be a, a scientific report, that you would trust that person, which is faith, that they are giving you the accurate results in that. We all have faith in something. But I would even argue that Christianity isn't just a faith of blind religion that has no evidence. In fact, uh, I love these words in the Gospel of John. Uh, John, an author who is uh, talking about Jesus, one of the four primary gospel writers that we have. He writes at the very end of his gospel writing, which is giving us an account of Jesus and what he has done. He slips in this very important statement. He says this, but these are written, all the things that I said to you before in the previous 19 chapters, they were written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It, what, what John is proclaiming is that these are given to you as evidence points. That it's not just something that's blind, but, but that he, this guy, Jesus, has walked the earth, that he came into this world, that he died on a cross, and that he rose again from the dead, giving you life 
trusting and believing in his words. That's why we as a church have the mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Not more like the church or more like Pastor Dave, but more like Jesus. We take his words seriously. And we lean into what he has to say because those things were written to teach us more about the one who rose again from the dead. It is not some kind of blind faith, but we trust in God in the process. And so my hope for us today would simply be this. My hope would be that we would find greater wonder about our great God. That in the midst of creation, in the midst of all that has been put into being, that we wouldn't be afraid of science and we wouldn't seek this out to get lost in the battles on Fox News and CNN and calling somebody stupid and calling someone smarter or such things like that. Instead, we would lean in and that it would bring us greater wonder about the God who has put everything into being. That we would call out science when it oversteps its boundaries and begins to answer the why question, yet also call ourselves out in our own religion where we overstep our boundary and try to explain the why into everything. I pray that we would find wonder and beauty and awe in the bigness of who God is and what he has created and even in the minute details that we can walk and move and dangle our fingers in front of our face. That we would see God in his beauty and wonder. And that's, that's where I would go with this. And in fact, uh, we could spend a lot longer time here discussing these things. And I know that this is the tip of the iceberg. And that's why on your message notes, I, I really wanted you uh, to, I pointed you to three resources that were helpful for me in this discussion. If this is something that you want to dive in more to, man, I always love a cup of coffee or something like that, and we can dive into this. But these are three books that I find, or two books in a movie, that I just find really beautiful. Uh, First, uh, John Lennox and God's Undertaker. These are on your message notes. Everybody sees these, right? If you're looking for that, you can learn more of Aunt Matilda's Cake and such things like that. Came from that book. I'm not that smart, all right? The Reason for God, uh, Tim Keller, he has a great chapter on how science and faith can exist and hold together. And also the movie Expelled. Uh, I think it's a good movie in understanding some of the dynamics that are happening in the academic circle, especially in the public atmosphere. But I want to finish with this. Finish with uh, this thought. These words that we read uh, from Acts chapter 17. Paul, the author of these words that Lauren was reading for us, um, Paul is uh, as the church planter, the guy who goes and starts um, multiple churches all throughout uh, the world after Jesus ascends into heaven. He's an apostle. He's sent out by Jesus, and he goes to this place uh, known as Athens, a very popular place where many people are. 
And we read in Acts chapter 17 that he uh, comes into this area and he has an opportunity to speak. It would be similar to like going to Oak Park in the middle of like a wine or beer festival and you're handed the microphone on the main stage, all right? And, and Paul has this moment where he's been analyzing and looking all around. And in Athens at that time, they had many statues that were devoted to the many different gods. But one of those statues was to the unknown God. Paul writes this. He says that I found also an, an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth. Paul makes this connection of that, he says, I see that there is some question and wonder about all of the gods. There's an unknown God and I see the beauty of all of creation. And I would invite you to see that that is pointed to the God-man, to Jesus, that in him we live and move and have our being. This wonderful creator who didn't just create everything, he came into the world for us as well. A couple of years ago, uh, I had the opportunity to go down to the NASA uh, Kennedy Space Station. I don't know, has anybody been there in Florida by chance? down in Orlando. It's a really uh, awesome place. If you have an opportunity, if you're near Orlando, you got to go check it out and spend a couple days there. Uh, that's me on the left with the sunburn. And um, on the far right, uh, that's actually my brother and my sister-in-law. And uh, as we were uh, in the middle of cert, like uh, exploring and learning all of these things, and, and I just get fascinated with this stuff because I really believe it shows just the beauty and the wonder of who God is. And uh, one of the exhibits that we got to go to, uh, we got to meet a real life astronaut. Uh, that's the guy in the middle there. His name is Ken Cameron. And Ken uh, was given the stage for about uh, 30 to 35 minutes and he's one who's traveled to space uh, and shared about that experience and everything. There was about 150, 200 people in the room that were listening in on this conversation. And he finishes, and Ken uh, opens the floor. He says, does anybody have any questions? And immediately my hand just shot up. And my wife sitting next to me was like, oh God, no, please, all right, just put your hand down, all right? And, and so I, the microphone just comes right to me. And... And I stand up and I'll be honest, I got really nervous. I was like, this guy has done some really incredible things. And, uh, and so, so I just kind of mumbled for the first couple minutes, which sounds typically like a Sunday morning sermon, and then got to the question, finally came out. I said, Ken, what did you see in space that all the books, all of your studying, everything that had been described to you when you finally got to that place, what is it that that couldn't describe? And in my mind, in my own memory, I think Ken said, wow, that's a great question. That probably didn't happen. But, but, but Ken took a second and he said, when I got up into space, he had been in space twice. He said, 
uh, as the pilot of, of that mission. And they got to the place of where they got out of Earth's atmosphere and they turned around and they looked at the Earth. He said, I got to see it with all of its beauty. And then I looked around it and I saw a whole bunch of nothing. And to him, he used these words. He said, it leads me to wonder and amazement. My hope for us, that when we dive into the bigness of what is created and what we confess and believe is that God has put everything into being. God is bigger than what we can imagine. But what we also believe is that the very minute details of that what he holds together proclaim the beauty and wonder of who he is. My prayer for us would be that we wouldn't see science and faith as these two divorced things, that one is fighting against the other, but that they would work together to proclaim wonder and beauty about a God who not just only created, but saved and redeemed and rescued as well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who works in this world in beautiful and mysterious ways. And God, I ask that in the midst of our big questions, still to this day, we are searching the things that you've put into being. It seems as if as we grow and as we uh, learn more about what exists around us, we are put into wonder and amazement as well. I pray, God, that that would, would draw us closer to you, that that order that has been put into play, that it would help us to see you more clearly. And I pray, God, that we would be confident and compassionate in these arenas and spaces, and may we never forget of how you are one who doesn't just create, but, but also comes into this world to bring life and to answer that question of why, so that we may experience life to the fullest, which is found through you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.